and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about post-emerge soybean herbicides. Now, many of these herbicides can be used in other crops, so we'll kind of cover that as we go through some of these different products. As always, though, we're happy to talk about anything going on in your farm or answer any of your questions. If you want to call in here, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so post-emerge soybean herbicides, probably the number one question we've gotten in the last five years now is, how can I stop dicamba volatility? I hate to break it to you, but you can't. So I don't care which formulation you're using. I don't care that you followed everything on the label. You can't 100% stop volatility. Now, you can do a lot of things to dramatically minimize what the issues are, including spraying during the middle of the day instead of when there are air inversions. You can make sure that you are spraying away from sensitive crops and um, if possible, if the wind is out of going to be out of the same direction for a couple of days, as long as it's blowing away from the sensitive crops, I mean, you're, you're almost perfectly safe. Also, here's really the big key and part of why I wanted to talk about this topic today. Just spray early. So back when I was a young agronomist, well, for both the enemy, when we were young agronomists, everybody was using dicamba on their corn in our region. I mean, like literally everyone. And a lot of people were throwing 2,4-D in too. Now, that wasn't the best choice for the corn crop. It's no wonder our yields have increased 50% since that time. But anyway, with that dicamba, we never saw, I shouldn't say never, almost never saw off-target volatility issues. Seriously, almost never. Occasionally, I might see something in somebody in a neighbor's low ground in some beans, but that was usually only when the guy was spraying too late. So most everybody, our recommendation was you got to spray from spike to V2. Well, just as a corn's popping out of the ground to V2, that's very early in the season. And we have been able to see here over the last few years, the later in the year it gets, the more sensitive those soybeans are if they are not tolerant to dicamba. So just yesterday, I was I met with a number of different agronomists throughout the state of Minnesota. And one of the one of the agronomists I was talking to just asked, hey, what are you seeing like for enlist and extend? Because around here, he goes, we're all enlist. And I said, yeah, interestingly, um, it is really split geographically. I said, once you get, call it 50 miles into South Dakota, almost everybody is extend and it's now extend flex and it's because of kosher. So people are going for that whole kosher thing, but, and you know, you, you obviously do a better job with that camera than you do two, four D's. So that's why people want that trait. But I said, here's the other thing. It's also a little bit defense. So if all your neighbors are planting extend beans, you know that they're spraying dicamba. Well, if you have dicamba tolerant beans, you're in good shape. Anyway, I, I would just say, please, if you're spraying dicamba, spray early. I don't care if it's corn or beans. Last year, we did see some volatility issues, and it was, I, I can't say almost all out of, out of corn, but it was the stuff I looked at anyway and talked to people about. It was primarily out of corn. Here's the problem. We thought 
oh, it's a great thing when they put a safener with dicamba. So now you got Diflex that's safened clarity. You've got status that's safened distinct. And, oh, this is a great thing. Well, yeah, it is for corn safety. But the problem is now this promotes people spraying later in the year with a dicamba product. So I, I, I guess I'm going to always encourage you spray early, whether we're talking corn or soybeans out in your pasture if you're using dicamba, in your roadside ditches if you're using dicamba, literally anywhere you're using dicamba, please spray early and you're going to be in a lot better shape. All right, the other big thing with these post-soybean herbicides, I guess that I wanted to hit right to start the show today, is volunteer corn herbicides because that's the number one thing I've had complaints on performance-wise in the last three years. And it goes something like this. A lot of people go, well, I, I, I used either Enlist One or one of the dicamba products on the Extend Beans, and I bumped my rate on the volunteer corn herbicide, and it still didn't work. Okay, we got two problems primarily. Number one, what I see is people aren't bumping the rates enough. In a lot of cases, you've got to double the rate compared to when you were just spraying that volunteer corn herbicide with Roundup. Seriously, there is enough antagonism between the dicamba or the 2,4-D together with the volunteer corn herbicide. So in a lot of cases, you got to double the rate. Here's the other issue. A lot of people have been letting that volunteer corn get big. Please don't let your volunteer corn get big. If it's over six inches tall, it's harder to kill. If it's over a foot tall, it's much harder to kill. And if it's over two feet tall, good luck, because even a double rate is probably not going to get it. So I, I would just really encourage you on your first pass across the field, and I realize your first pass may be pretty early, and you go, well, there's barely any volunteer corn up. It costs like $3 an acre. Even if you were to double the rate, you might be spending 5 or $6 an acre. It's not like it's the end of the world. And then you get a lot of your volunteer corn wiped out right off the bat. So on our farm, in some cases, when we are spraying that early, we haven't had to double the rate. We've just gone with a little higher than normal rate. When the volunteer corn's been two inches tall, we're wiping it out. It's no problem. So please spray your volunteer corn when it's, when it's smaller, and you'll have much better success. So anyway, when it comes to post-emerged soybean herbicides, you have a lot more options than you used to, whether it's because we've got these different traits out there like Extend or Enlist that we didn't have 10, even 10 years ago, or if it's because of all these new combination products that there are out there, um, or even this. Back when I was a young agronomist, when both Darren and I were, a lot of people used Dual in corn. Nobody I know used it in soybeans, and nobody even thought about spraying it post-emerge in soybeans. Well, now, like in our farm this year, and on a lot of farms around the United States and, and other countries, we do see where people are spraying post-emerge group 15s just to gain more residual. Those group 15s, like Dual, Outlook, Zidua, they have no burn down, but they have great residual. So anyway, lots of different things to talk about with post-soybean herbicides. We'll get to the phone lines right after this. Back with multi-year proven results, Torque drives performance. Unique to other biologicals, Torque can be applied with other chemistries. Use in furrow or side dress to increase mycorrhizal associations, enhancing root development. Learn more about Torque at thinkbiological.com or contact your local retailer and ask for Torque today. Novozymes BioAg, Think Biological. When it comes to cereal disease protection, 
Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Hi, I'm Greg Souter with 360 Yield Center. Getting more nitrates into the corn plant drives yields higher. When and where you place your nitrogen makes a big difference in packing nitrates into the ear. 360 Y-Drop places in right over the roots. It's the most efficient way to move nitrates into the plant for better tip fill and heavier kernels. Convert your side dress bar to 360 Y-Drop. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're talking about post-soybean herbicides. And you may say, wait a second. Do you guys even have soybeans out of the ground on your farm? Yes, we do. As of yesterday, we have soybeans that are up. And so we're already thinking about what's going to happen when we see some weeds out there. What are we going to do? We got the pre's down. They're holding really well so far, and hopefully that continues for a while. It definitely buys you a little more window to get that post out there. But eventually you're going to have to deal with a few weeds that break through those pre's. So we're talking about the post herbicides on today's show, and we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll bring uh, Matt Inman on now with BASF. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great. Hope you all are. Yeah, we are doing we're doing fine here. And you know, you think about weed control post emerge in soybeans, and absolutely things have gotten a little easier in that we've got some more traits that we can choose from, whether that's the Enlist platform or the Extend Flex platform. We got more uh, herbicides that we can put out there, but we certainly have some that have been around for a long time that work as well. Uh, where do you start when growers ask you about post soybean herbicides? Well, I'm, I'll be honest, you know, like you just mentioned, uh, we've had a pretty different year so far compared to last year in a lot of areas and, and able to get those activating rains for those pre's. And that's really where I, I like to start. It's, um, you know, if we're just now thinking about um, controlling our weeds, you know, when when those weeds start coming up, then, then we're behind. So, um Again, start uh, with the strong pre, and again, that gives us that flexibility moving into those post applications. All right, I want to ask you about a couple of specific post products. Uh, first, I want to talk about Ingenia. Talk to us about that one. What have you learned now that the product's been out for a while? We've seen quite a few acres getting treated over you know across the country and a lot of different weeds and weather situations, those types of things. What would be some best practices heading into this year for growers spraying Ingenia? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, so as you mentioned, we're really got that extend flex or that enlist system, and and obviously Ingenia would be for our uh, extend extend flex system. Um, it's our our patent dicamba product, and and it's just really for those hard to control weeds, our palmers, our water hemp, um, our our major broadleaf driver weeds, um, kochia. It does an excellent job for that post knockdown, and and also. Uh, can give us a little bit of residual uh, benefit during those dry times as well. Yeah, it, I, I like having a little bit of residual. It's not a roundup, for example, that you spray and tomorrow weeds pop up on you. It, it's got a little bit of kick to it that's going to take those next ones that are just about to emerge. And, you know, when you look at um, Liberty as well, you've got another option that can get used early or late in the season. What do you think, you know, with Liberty, what's your strategy? What are you pushing growers towards in, in both the Enlist platform and the ExtendFlex platform? Yeah, either either one, like you said, we've got a couple of options, but being timely and spraying early, especially with our Ingenia, either pre and at planting or very early post is really what we're encouraging. And again, just trying to be timely and also being good stewards of our products. Um, and, you know, I would be remiss without saying, even whether it's Ingenia, Liberty, and List, make sure we're including those residual products with that, again, to extend that residual uh, layering on into the season, and hopefully we'll get us to uh, canopy closure there. You know, you mentioned the, the post-residual and just layering things up, and I, I love that strategy. It's been been really good for us and for a lot of growers around our area, too, and when we think about the weeds that are that are going to be coming, there's there's quite a few out there. And yes, everybody wants to talk about Palmer pigweed and and water hemp and those types of weeds. But even just for grass control, I know we've noticed that on our farm too, on some of our newer ground where we had some grass pressure. That getting that extra layer of residual out there, we get the canopy without having any issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we've been so focused on, like you said, these certain uh, driver species that we're, we're going to have and we have seen weed shifts. And a lot of that has been grasses in, in, in a lot of areas. Again, we're focused on the broadleaves and that's really what we tailor our programs around. Um, but after several years, a number of years of doing that, we kind of let, let the grasses, let those less sensitive species come back. And, and again, we have to keep that in mind moving forward it's going to continue to be an issue yeah there's a lot of different weed species out there and and yes rightly rightly so we need to focus on a couple of those main driver ones but want to have clean fields completely clean fields and it's totally possible in soybeans talking with matt inman here with basf matt thank you so much really appreciate you joining us today absolutely thank you take care let's head over to north carolina state we've got charlie cahoon with on with us right now charlie how you doing Hey, thank y'all for having me again. So we're talking about weed control, and, and I've been in some North Carolina state plots in the past, and I remember I was in one plot back in the day when dicamba and 2,4-D tolerant crops were, we knew they were coming eventually. You guys were working on them long before they hit the market, and I just remember seeing the the intensity of the pigweed pressure in this particular North Carolina state plot of that. My goodness. I, I don't know if you guys seeded that or if that's just what it's like in an untreated field in North Carolina, but sure made me respect North Carolina agriculture real quick. 
No, I I, uh, I believe I was there that, that day y'all came and visited, and that was actually the epicenter for where we uh, actually confirmed glyphosate-resistant pigweed in the, in the state. And so um, that, that was a natural population. Now, it was research-grade for sure, but uh, that's just to show you how bad it can get if you, if you leave it unchecked for a while. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that was a... That was a good place for, for pigweed research for sure. You know, growers generally aren't planting all one crop every year forever. There's usually a, a crop rotation that's going in, whether it's a corn-soybean rotation or if you've got cotton or peanuts or another crop in your particular geography. What do you see? For, for guys that want to have an easier job in soybeans, we've always said if you can just do a bang-up job in corn, it'll make your life so much easier when you get to that soybean rotation. Yeah, absolutely, and that's been a message that we have preached long for managing glyphosate-resistant pigweed in particular, but ragweed as well, um, because atrazine still works for us and is still an effective mode of action in the toolbox. And so we have encouraged folks where they have land capable of producing a, a good crop of corn to, to go to corn and use atrazine and use the, the bleacher herbicides that we can't use uh, in these other crops up until this point. Um, and so, yeah, that's been a, at the top of our recommendations for, for folks to, to kind of switch it up and switch the modes of action. Well, it kind of helps that that one's inexpensive too. So I don't think you get a whole lot of pushback from the growers. But uh, when you look at some of those modes of action, like you say atrazine, we don't have atrazine tolerant soybeans yet, but we do have soybeans that can tolerate HPPDs. We do have soybeans that can handle, well, all the soybeans can handle some level of group 15s, dicamba. It seems like a lot of our good modes of action in corn are now getting used in soybeans. How concerned are you about that? And what would be some strategies on the corn side so we don't lose those effective modes of action in our soybeans. Yeah, ab absolutely. It's it's you know we we didn't have a, a rich history of using uh, you know dicamba in corn up until the last few years when growers got more comfortable with it when they were using it in uh, dicamba tolerant cotton and soybeans. Same thing with 2,4-D as well. And so we're we're increasing that mode of action use in corn. We're using it in soybeans. Um, the group 15s, like you said, we're using them in all of our crops. Um, and so there is concern. And now with, you know, HPPD tolerant soybeans and cotton on the market, we're, we're taking another mode of action that we've had solely for use in corn predominantly, and, and now we're using it across three crops. So it's definitely concerning. Um, I think one of the things that we have recommended is rotate modes of action and then also tank mixtures. And, and a lot of times in corn, and I hope this is the case when we get using these modes of action predominantly, more predominantly in, in cotton and soybeans that will continue to use mixtures like we do in corn. Because um, a lot of those HPPDs go out with atrazine and that helps. And so hopefully we can carry that kind of knowledge with us to, to soybeans and cotton to, to protect those modes of action. Yeah, multiple effective modes of action in the tank. That's, that's really the key. Uh, Charlie Cahoon down at North Carolina State, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank y'all. Take care. Talk more about weed control right after this. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma.
This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer, is committed to helping you in the field. The CNB Support Center brings you machine monitoring, remote diagnostics, and guidance from expert technology specialists all season long. Learn more about what the CNB Support Center can do for you at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about post-emerge soybean herbicides, and it's going to be just a little bit before we're spraying post on our farm, but when we head further south, there may be some guys already out there, if, if they've got all their plots in yet. I'm not sure if they do or not down at Mississippi State. We've got Trent Derby on right now with us. Trent, you still planting plots down there? Man, we are. Uh, we're planting one right now, so... I'm taking a little break and visiting with you guys, and then we'll get back to and get it finished. So do you put traded soybeans in your plots, or do you put conventional just to make it interesting so it's a little trickier to tr- control the weeds? Most of these that I'm doing here, you know, are more from a demonstration standpoint. So these are going to be more treated just like you would get them uh, to, to have them commercially treated and and that way they'll represent, you know, what the farmer is going to purchase here. So sometimes we have some research plots, you know, where we, we specifically do things to keep it even and keep it interesting. But as far as on-farm type plots, we, we usually have those commercially treated. Now, when it comes to weed control and soybeans, the, the best thing that we've found has been to put multiple effective modes of action out pre. How about in Mississippi? What are you guys recommending? Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, – 
We just work off the assumption that we've got a Palmer amaranth resistance in most most fields. It's not statewide, but it is the predominant, uh, you know, glyphosate resistant weed that drives our, our decision making. So we just work off the assumption that it's there, and we need to make a plan around how to control control that. And that's going to come from you know heavy on the residual herbicide side from pre-plant to at planting and then make sure that we include another residual in with our post-emergence. Yeah, I've heard it said many times the best way to control a pigweed is to never see it. So I'm, I'm with you. I like the heavy use of residuals. How about these new traits? How about the extend trait, the enlist trait? Do you find the dicamba and the 2,4-D type products effective controlling pigweeds in Mississippi? So far, so good. I mean, we've, we've had a, a, maybe a hiccup or two here and there, but for the most part, uh, you know, prior to these traits, we were heavily relying on uh, PPO herbicides mixed in with some of these early post applications for uh, extra control of those that are up, you know. And and since that uh, release of these two traits that you, you mentioned there, we, we have fairly well substituted that PPO part in that equation with uh, dicamba in the case of extend soybean or uh, 2,4-D in, in the case of the MSD3. How about Liberty, Trent? How is that working in Mississippi? And with both of those traits, with the extend flex and the enlist beans, you got the option of Liberty. If it's working well, where do you see growers using that? Is that their last pass through the field, or are they using it first? I think it just kind of depends. uh on on the the timing of that application you know usually we have what i like to call two planting seasons we'll have a, an extremely early planting date uh and things are still pretty cool when some of those applications are made so depending on the, the environmental conditions we'll probably drive the, the factor on that but but we we do we we have relied on the liberty component of that and even prior to these traits back in the days of just straight Liberty Link soybeans. You know, we, we had some acres dedicated to, to that trade as well. Uh, Liberty is a very effective uh, product on, on some of these resistant Palmer amaranths. Trent, let me ask you this. So I don't farm in Mississippi. I, I know about Palmer. What are a couple of weeds that you'd say might surprise growers in the north that you guys don't have this, but it's a big challenge for us down here? Well, right now... Driving, I guess, too broadleaf weeds would be uh, prickly soda or tea weed. Some some call it by both names. Uh, that has been kind of something that's not new, but and, and it's not a resistance problem. But it, it's one of those things that we're seeing it kind of cycle back into some of our, our fields here in the last three or four years. Uh, obviously, mentioned Palmer Emmet is a big driver, and then beyond that, uh, our, our winter our winter angles are kind of kind of the ones that. Our winter weeds are kind of the ones that are giving us a lot of trouble and burn down, like resistant ryegrass rye and, and horseweed. Okay. With the prickly cider, what do you do to control that? How well do prees work, and, and have you found a favorite post-go-to program? Yeah, there's, there's some good options for it. Uh, uh, you know, as far as, as pre versus post, uh, it's just one of those things that we kind of had to target because it wasn't necessarily – one of those that we had been tackling with our, our previous uh, applications in, in years past, and then when we switched to this extend trait, you know, some things just changed. And, and I, I don't, I'm not going to say it released the weed, but it, something in the dynamic of the spectrum shifted, and, and we're seeing more of it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, uh, good luck to you, Trent, as you're getting those plots in. We really appreciate all the work that you do to to help growers out. Like you say, some of those plots can get pretty weedy, and you like to see all the different pros and cons of the system. I'm glad you guys work out the tough end of that, so uh, we kind of get that sorted out for us out on the farm. So thanks, Trent. We really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Brian, uh, Trent made the comment, we were using a lot of the PPO's early post, and there are a, there is a, a lot of positive using those PPO's, whether it's Cobra, Flexstar, yep. Ultra yep. Blazer. There's, there's just a bunch of different ones that could get used. But if if we're replacing those with a 2,4-D, a dicamba, that, that does offer us some, some benefits as well in terms of less crop response in the field that we're in yep. and a little broader spectrum maybe of what we're trying to control. But I, I think there's some of the same weakness that we've got with those PPOs is it's hard to use a strong enough rate. If you've got a big weed out there, for example, you can't use enough enlist one, in my opinion. I think we need double the rate to right. enlist one. I wish it was labeled, but it's not. Yeah, and I, I will just say I have the good fortune, or maybe maybe bad fortune, but I, I do get the opportunity to meet with the, the big ag chem companies and their head people in the United States pretty much every year. And this is one of the things that I have brought up numerous times is, okay, this rate of 2,4-D or even the rate of dicamba, whatever, um, your crops, I know, are way more tolerant than that. They can stand a 3X rate and they'd have no problem. So just for example, if I was to use Enlist 1 at a 2-quart rate instead of the labeled 1-quart rate, would it hurt the beans from everything I've seen in research? No. But they just don't have it labeled. And so I, I've said to these companies, can you please just label a higher rate? I know for most people, they're not going to spend the money. But every once in a while, you just run into this, what I'm going to call a disaster situation. You're behind the eight ball, whatever happened, your sprayer broke down, it rained. Whatever the case, you got great big weeds. So yeah, to your point, Darren, I mean, if you have big weeds, normal use rates are just not going to cut it. And so here's usually what I'm encouraging people to do. Get the three pre's down, a yellow metribuse and an either authority or valor. Okay, so you do that, already 99% of your weeds are gone. But whether you do that or you don't, if you've got a really weedy field, I would still encourage you get a group 15 and a PPO like Flexstar or Cadet out there real early. So for example, like on our farm where we're raising conventional beans, we put the three pre's down already. Got the beans planted, whatever, 10 days ago. So now we are planning on coming in with probably Warrant Ultra, and that's just Warrant, which is uh, unsafened harness, plus Flexstar, uh, the active ingredient from Flexstar. So that's what Warrant Ultra is. So it's got a Group 15 and a PPO. So we'll come with that real early post. And there aren't going to be a lot of weeds up. So it's not like I'm counting on Flexstar to burn down lots of weeds, but whatever weeds there are, they're an inch or two tall. It's no big deal. So that'll take that out. But the big reason why we're using these two products is both the Group 15 and Flexstar have great residual. Not good, but great residual. You start talking 2,4-D, dicamba, they have very little residual, a week at best. Roundup, Liberty, no residual. So you stop and think about it a second. And I, I just brought this up to some people the other day when we were talking about corn versus beans. 
And they're like, well, I don't make that many trips in corn. Why do I need to make three or four trips in beans? I go, crop canopy. Think about it in corn. You get great crop canopy fairly early in the season. Sometimes I'm in bean fields that never canopy. Well, if you don't have great crop canopy, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means you have to have herbicide control all season long. That's asking a lot. So your choice is either go to narrow rows or you got to have a better residual program like I'm talking about getting a group 15 and something like Flexstar out early post. We'll talk more about post soybean herbicides and get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just talking about post-emerge soybean herbicides. 
If you've got any questions for us, just email us, radio at agphd.com, or if you'd like to visit about anything happening in your farm, 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone number. So we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a little bit. Before we do, just to wrap things up on this post-emerge soybean herbicide conversation, I guess I just wanted to, to say this. You need to have great spray coverage. If you don't get that, especially with products like Liberty, you're just not going to have very good control. And you might say, oh, I, I'm doing a good job. It's fine. But here's what I want you to think about. If you've got a weed patch, we see this very often with, let's say it's an ear of corn that's laying out there, and all of a sudden there are a whole bunch of volunteer corn plants coming from that one ear. You're going to hit the top ones, the, the taller ones, but are you really going to get the one underneath? Same thing with like water hemp or kochia or lamb's quarters. If there's a small one kind of underneath the big plant, are you getting coverage on that? This is one of the reasons why we're just big proponents of getting some residual herbicide out there, especially pre-emerge or pre-plant incorporated. It's to thin things out so you don't have so darn many weeds that you're trying to control because otherwise what ends up happening is you kill off everything that that your spray touches and then, okay, now we reveal, hey, what was under that weed canopy and then you have to go back out and spray again a week or two later. All right, so when we talk about these post-emerge soybean herbicides, yes, there's 2,4-D and dicamba. And, I mean, we, we talked quite a bit about the dicamba earlier, but with that new 2,4-D, that Enlist 1, the big concern with old 2,4-D was volatility. We're just not seeing that out of Enlist 1. It's great. So we've used it a number of years on our farm. Even before it was labeled, we got to experiment with it. Uh, I, I, I can't say enough good things about that. Now, it's not going to be any better than old 2,4-D on weed control, but in terms of the volatility, dramatic reduction. Also, Roundup, we were talking about this in the show the other day. Roundup does still work on a lot of weeds. We do encourage you, if you have soybeans that are tolerant to Roundup, even if you that's not your main herbicide anymore, we still like seeing it in the tank most of the time because it does have activity in a lot of weeds. may not completely kill them, but it can help. So that's well, good. I, I thought it was interesting talking to Trent Irby down at Mississippi State. He said not all their polymer is resistant. Right. So Roundup would yep. kill that. Yep. So, yeah, having it in the tank, it's going to do something for you even on the toughest weeds. Yeah, and my argument most of the time is we don't have a lot of weeds that are truly resistant. We have a lot that are tolerant, though. So will a 2x, a 3x, a 4x rate kill it? Well, yeah, but in a lot of cases, it's just not a labeled rate or you don't want to spend the money. But if you're still getting some activity, that helps and it makes it easier for the other herbicide, the true herbicide that you are intending to kill that weed, to actually take it down. Okay, when when we talk about spray coverage, Liberty is really the number one herbicide where that comes into play because it's much more of a contact killer than Roundup, 2,4-D, Dicamba, or a lot of the other things that we spray. So just keep that in mind with Liberty. If you're going to use Liberty, we're great with that. Excellent herbicide, fantastic on a lot of weeds. You just want to make sure that, number one, you get some ammonium sulfate in there. That really helps boost that control up. And number two, use a little bit more water and, and maybe spray pressure. Don't be using your great big dicamba droplets, your spray your dicamba spray nozzles. Don't use that for spraying Liberty. It's not going to work as well. And, I, I mean, it's just these little things, you know, what, what you're using for a spray nozzle, the, the water, the spray pressure, the amount of can canopy. So, in other words, can you get good coverage on stuff? I mean, you could have 
maybe 5, 10, 20% more weed control. That, that can be a big deal when it comes to yield at the end of the season. All right, and then if you do have conventional beans, there just are no new choices that I can think of anyway off the top of my head other than maybe Zidual, but that's a group 15. There are really no new choices in 25 years. So Roundup soybeans came out over 25 years ago, and a lot of people switched away from conventional beans because they're like, oh, I can't kill the weeds. You can kill the weeds. It's just you got to spend the money, and you've got to plan ahead because if you don't get, like we talk about all the time, the three pre's down, you're in big time trouble. I mean, big time trouble. I, I tell guys all the time that say, oh, I want to grow conventional beans. I'm like, okay, here's the must. You must put down the three pre's. If you don't want to do that, you go, oh, it's too expensive or I don't have time or whatever. I just encourage you, please, please, please do not raise conventional beans because all you're going to do is complain later on that either you couldn't kill the weeds or your yield was poor or whatever. It's so easy. If you get the three pre's down, then you come with something like Warrant Ultra or Anthem Max Early Post. That's exactly what we're doing in our farm. We're raising a bunch of conventional beans. Those beans will be pretty weed-free after getting five products out there, five chemistries out there, four modes of action by the time the beans are at V2. <laughs> so we're to some degree throwing the kitchen sink at it, but like on our fields where we're able to use trifluralin, um, we're only spending about 24, 25 bucks an acre for five chemistries is not that expensive. All right, let's get to the egg PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. So it comes from Ryan. He said, I'm a younger farmer in southern Minnesota, and I've got a pre-emerge herbicide question for my upcoming corn crop. I talked to my local agronomist. He's recommending I use Volley or Generic Surpass with Stinger for a pre-emerge product. I have giant ragweed and mare's tail pressure. I'm just wondering what you recommend and if this is a good combo. I'm coming off enlist beans. My corn crop will be Roundup and Liberty resistant. Thanks for the info. Wait, did did he say no-till? Conventional till? Doesn't say it too much. Yeah, hi. Just says corn pre-emerge. Yep. Yeah, okay. I have to assume we're talking about either no-till or strip-till, because well, otherwise mare's tail is usually not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I would think so too. Okay. And also, it uh, sounds like he's planting the corn and spraying later, which I would say this, Ryan, you're taking your chances when you plant the corn and spray later. Eh, yeah, you are. I, I mean, I don't, you don't love get, that. If you don't but... get rain to activate that pre, you're going to be a little disappointed. But well, you have Roundup and Liberty coming back, so you should be able to clean it up. Yeah, but here's what I would do. Because uh, All right, let's talk about this specifically. Surpass has really good residual on a lot of the Roundup-resistant weeds, like kochia, water hemp, and Palmer pigweed. It's not perfect, but it's, it's not bad. The reason why a lot of people like the stinger in there is for that ragweed. Ragweed... It, it's kind of hard to control. In some cases, it's ALS resistant, but we really like Stinger. Um, not that it's perfect, but at least very much suppresses ragweed. Okay, with mare's tail, um, you're not going to kill it with Surpass, and you're not going to do much with Stinger. So if you've got mare's tail out there, if it's me, I'm throwing a pint of Banville or Clarity with this mix. Surpass, Stinger, and either Banville or Clarity at a pint, and then you're going to burn down everything that's existing, plus you're going to leave yourself probably weeks worth of residual out of that dicamba. So if it's me, that's what I'm doing, assuming that I need a burn down here, which I have to imagine we do, because again, if you were doing tillage, in a lot of cases that takes out the mare's tail since it's a winter annual. All right. 
thanks for the question. Good luck to you, Ryan. Get this one. This is kind of interesting. We hear a lot about deer damage and different recipes that that folks use. So this one is from Jay. He's in South Central South Dakota. He said, all right, I heard you guys talking about deer damage prevention, and it reminded me of my experience. Several years ago, we had a harsh winter, and deer were bothering our alfalfa bales. Yep. And I had heard that human hair works as a deterrent, and my wife happens to own a beauty salon. So I called her and said, can you just bring human hair back home? So I threw some hair on and around the bales, and it worked for a few days. But then the deer were back, so I called yep. her and asked for more hair. But she said, uh, I was too late. She'd already cleaned up, and it was mixed in the trash. And I said, you know what? It works so good. Bring it home. I'll sort it out. So I attempted to sort it out, but the perm smell and mess. Oh, man, it was a mess. Uh, so I threw that perm stinking trash around the bales. That was the end of my deer problem. They hate the smell of perms. So if you've ever smelled a perm, you probably understand what I'm saying. But I'm just thinking maybe somebody could patent deer deterrent that smells like perm solution. Hey, thanks, Jay. We really appreciate that. Yeah, I've heard hot sauce and other things around the outside of fields or, or piles of hay like this. That's, that's pretty well, interesting. Yeah, we've talked about coyote urine. Uh, we've talked about manure from a zoo with lions and tigers. Uh, I mean, there are all kinds of ideas out there. Hey, thanks. We really appreciate that. We'll be right back with more of your questions coming up after this. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, 
set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. We're taking your questions via email, radio at agphd.com, or you can just call us, 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, got a question from Rick, and he said, I'm curious what you guys have found with which direction you plant your rows, east to west compared to north north and south and i just think the north and south are going to get more sunlight and just curious what you're seeing okay here's the challenge for us we have pretty hilly ground and some odd shaped fields and so we're we're planting mainly for efficiency rather than saying well we have to run our rows north and south or east and west I can't say for sure that we have gained anything going either direction. I'm trying to think, Darren, do you remember what did our dad always say? He he wanted it. I thought it was east and west that he wanted it. Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm pretty I certain it was I know east and west. I know we've tried and, I know we've tried both. Yeah. And it, some years we see a little bit of difference and other years we don't. We just haven't seen anything consistent with that. I think he wanted east and west in part because we're in the northern hemisphere and we're quite a ways north and so just with the angle of the sun he thought maybe we captured a little more sunlight with east and west rows so i i I just don't remember now off the top of my head but yeah we've tried all kinds of things and we've never really been able to prove that out that oh east west is better than north south now as i say that there are certain years with wind events rain events hail snow where, boy, if you had your rows in one direction or the other, there was a difference. So the problem is we just don't know how Mother Nature is going to hit us this year. What direction is Mother Nature going to hit us out of? So, I mean, that's really hard to say. But, no, I don't think we have any preference. Okay. Uh, I had a comment that came in from Mark, and he said you guys were talking about sweet corn versus field corn the other day. And for me, I just look at what's going to be more profitable and that's what I'm going to raise. And for me, it's sweet corn. Uh, it can be sold starting 68 days from planting and and also has a higher price per bushel. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Hey, thanks, Mark. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it is it is important to remember that for, for anybody listening. What, what crops do farmers choose to grow? Well, they're going to grow the ones they can make money on. Otherwise, why do it? We want to have the best possible use for the land. Um, speak of that, I got this one from LB. 
who said, I've heard over 40% of our drinking water is threatened from farm runoff. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so at all, LB. No. I think that's... I think that's a pretty wild comment. I I just would look at other sources of information from where you're reading because, yeah, it certainly isn't there. I know there was a big study commissioned on the Mississippi River Basin, and they found the number one phosphorus polluter was the city of Chicago, that they just couldn't physically process all the human waste in the city. So to say, oh, yeah, it's mostly coming from farms, it's not. And, you know, for farmers, when we look at nutrients, like you were specifically looking at phosphorus and that, or that study was looking at phosphorus. And I think you had made a comment about phosphorus here, but. Okay. It's, I don't, I don't. Phosphorus is really expensive. Farmers don't, they can't afford to waste phosphorus. And I don't care what river it is anywhere in the world. That's not going to be as clean as if you have a well, even a few feet deep. And the reason why is just think about it. Any river is open, exposed to all, any and all wildlife. And people talk about, well, let's keep the cows out of there. Okay, great. But, I mean, how about the deer, the birds, the, I mean, all these other animals, they're getting in the river. So, I mean, in a lot of cases, the river water is not terrible, but you only have to go about three feet down in the ground and it's going to be way better quality. Because soil is a great natural filter of water. Phosphorus, for the most part, doesn't leach unless you get excessive rates. And in terms of nitrogen, a lot of farmers are trying to manage that nitrogen super well. And so what we typically see, like out of tile lines, for example, where, let's face it, there's only two to maybe four feet of soil filtering that water. Already by then, there's, generally speaking, 10 parts per million of nitrate or less so that's drinking water quality. And I guess where I'm going with this is I'm, there, are, there, there are a lot of media out there today who are trying to get ratings because that all leads to dollars. And it's a lot more uh, stirring if they start talking about, well, you got to watch our show because we're going to tell you how all the water in the country is threatened and we might not have safe drinking water in three years. And stuff like that okay whereas <laughs> we're just going to tell you the truth we don't have a whole lot of concerns now some of the third world countries yep there there are still some concerns but here in our country oh my goodness there are just so many environmental protections out there and even if there weren't i i feel great about most well water and everything it's i'm just i am not concerned Okay, get this one uh, from TH, who wanted to talk a little bit about boron. Uh, TH says, all right, after a few years of putting on fall applications of boron, I think my soils are in good shape, but it's always interesting to see what's happening during the season. It really makes me scratch my head. Maybe I need three parts per million in my soil to avoid this, but what I've seen starting off early in the season, I'm putting boron on uh, in a two-by-two, I'm putting a little bit on at V3, and after a two-inch rain, boron was the most deficient of all the nutrients at V5. It was at three parts per million in the plant. I don't know if boron went down in the soil or what happens or if our roots just aren't pulling it out well, but I did absolutely nothing after seeing it at three parts per million at V5, but the soil dried out, and magically at V6, my tissue test showed 15 parts per million of boron. After V6 and going through the rapid growth stage, well, we found things all over the map. Yep. But 
it, it's just kind of interesting how that happens. But it seems like if we're doing that fall application, we can build levels up enough that it doesn't hurt us. Yeah. Keep in mind, a V3 plant versus a v V6 plant, the V6 plant has way more root below it. I don't know what the percentage would be. I'll just guess, and I'll bet you it's three times the amount of root mass with a V6 plant versus a V3 plant. So, of course, it's going to be able to extract more nutrients. And the other thing is the roots are going deeper. Well, if boron got pushed deeper with rain, what's going to happen? When you get the roots going down deep, you now hit where that boron is because obviously it didn't leach completely away or anything. So, I, I mean, some of this is making sense. But ultimately, I don't care what the plant tissue is, and I really don't care what the soil test says. What I do care about is yield. So what I'm curious about is when you're adding the boron, are you gaining yield? That's the that's the tell, telltale sign. So do I gain yield? Run more tests and see. Maybe your three parts per million at V3 is enough. I just, I don't really know. I don't know anybody that knows. And maybe at V6, 15 is more than enough. And that carries you through with the plant for quite a while. I, I just, I am not sure. But all I know is keep testing with boron. We, we know that it has some impact on yield. We just don't know exactly what the levels are needed in the plant at each different growing stage in order to maximize yield. Okay. Uh, Joe in Illinois said, you guys talked about Anthem Max and Warrant Ultra as potential residual products to use early post in soybeans. Yes. I'm curious, what timing would you use on those? What do you have for a preference between products? And what do you plan on using in your conventional beans that you say you're raising? Okay. So in terms of preference of products, I... I personally like the Warrant Ultra because the Flexstar has more residual. However, the problem with that is it may have too much residual. There are some people that can't, it doesn't work in their rotation to have the Flexstar or Femesophen in there. In some areas, it's not labeled. And so if you want much less residual, you go with the Anthem Max. Uh, and by less residual, I mean you're not getting PPO residual. Cadet has very little residual. Flexstar has lots. So the Zidua is probably going to hang on. That's the other component in Anthem Max is the active ingredient from Zidua. That, as a group 15, is going to hang on longer than what Warrant will. So, I mean, you're still going to have lots of residual. It's a good product. But then you don't have the rotational concerns. In terms of when you spray, it's it's real early post. So I don't know exactly when we're going to be out there, V2 or something like that. Uh, so V4, um, you know, right, right in that kind of range, I would say that's generally what we're talking about. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Yeah, I do think that residual component in the post-emerge treatments on soybeans is going to be a big deal again. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.